We're going to read a, a fairly long psalm. I'm not going to preach on every verse in the psalm, um, but give you kind of an, an overview. And I want to read the whole psalm so that you can get kind of a feel for the many kinds of contexts in which God expects us uh, to be thankful and to see some of the, the timing and the remedies for uh, unthankfulness. But uh, hear the word of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercies endure forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High, therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths, their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet so he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. He turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell, that they may establish a city for a dwelling place and sow fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. 
He also blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Amen. Father, as we examine your word, it is our desire that we would learn from the mistakes of others, Uh, not simply waiting until the last minute before we cry out to you, but Father, having it our constant uh, habit uh, to have Uh, prayer without ceasing with thanksgiving enable us father to go beyond what in our own fleshly strength we can do and by the power of your holy spirit make us to be a praying people a grateful people a thanking people in jesus name we pray amen matthew henry the great preacher and commentator said this what a pity it is that this earth which is so full of God's goodness should be empty of his praises and that of the multitudes that live upon his bounty there are so few that live to his glory what a pity it is and what a wonderful world this would be if uh, this was a world filled with people who were grateful and had Thanksgiving this is a psalm of Thanksgiving And it assures us that we need God's grace to be as thankful as we really ought to be. I want you to look at verse 8. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now, he's in a sense grieving over unthankfulness. uh, But the very way that he has worded it shows to us that thankfulness does not come naturally. Look at verse 15. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then in case you haven't caught the point, he repeats himself in verse 21. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then sounding like a broken record, actually most of you probably don't even know what records are. Uh, but uh, there's a glitch in the, in the machine and it keeps resounding but in this case it's not a glitch it is very purposeful God knows we need reminding and he says in verse 31 oh that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men humans are not naturally thankful that's one of the themes that you'll see in this psalm There's an old saying from my grandma's generation that the hardest arithmetic to master is that which enables us to count our blessings. And most of us, I think, tend to suffer from this malady. And sometimes it's not till actually we've had all of the blessings removed that we realize it and we miss them and we begin to be grateful for what God has given us in the past. But even then, a lot of people don't do that. They just become bitter because of blessings that have been removed that they weren't thankful for in the first place. So their life just continues on with the same pattern of unthankfulness. Now there are times when God gives us a very good perspective when we are close to death. 
Senator uh, Richard Newberger confessed that it was really not till he contracted cancer that he began to appreciate all of the things that God had put into his life. Uh, he said this, a change came over me which I believe is irreversible. Questions of prestige, of political success, of financial status became all at once unimportant. In their stead has come a new appreciation of things I once took for granted. Eating lunch with a friend, scratching Muffet's ears and listening for his purr, the company of my wife, reading a book or magazine in the quiet cone of my bed lamp at night, raiding the refrigerator for a glass of orange juice or a slice of co coffee cake. For the first time, I think I am actually savoring life. I shudder when I remember all the occasions that I spoiled myself, even when I was in the best of health by false pride, synthetic values, and fancied slights. And he wrote that when he was dying of painful cancer. So God brought him to a place where he was actually able to be thankful in the midst of misery that he was going through. And that ability to thank God when we have been burned, when we have been betrayed or ripped off, is not something that comes naturally to man. It's a supernatural grace that God has given. And I hope by the end of this sermon, you have, by faith, said, yes, Lord, I receive that supernatural grace of thankfulness into my life. I want to be able to be thankful when no pagan in his right mind would be thankful uh, because in every circumstance there was something to be thankful for. It really is one of the spiritual blessings we've been blessed in in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.4 says we've got a bank account there. It's already been deposited. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, and this is one of those spiritual blessings that by faith every day we say, Lord, for this day I lay claim to that grace of thanksgiving. Help me to be a thankful person. Now, as I mentioned, this psalm assures us that it takes grace to have this heart of thankfulness, and it talks about a thankfulness that goes beyond mere human ability and convention. Uh, when there is a bitter heart, uh, we have not learned this spirit of thankfulness. Now, we might say thank you with our mouth, but that's different than having this supernatural grace of thankfulness. In many cases, Christians, uh, thanksgiving is no greater than what the heathen could do. 1 Peter 3, verse 2 describes the natural man in these words. They are lovers of themselves, disobedient to parents, unthankful. He goes on and describes a bunch of other things, but unthankful. Now, by that, Paul did not mean that unbelievers don't say thank you. Of course they do. But he is saying they do not possess this deep, supernatural gratefulness that God gives to, to believers. Uh, it's um, uh, something that the flesh can counterfeit but can never produce on its own. Now, I never realized how ungrateful and how unthankful I was until 1977 when a pastor uh, up in Three Hills, Alberta, challenged all of us to spend an hour th that this coming week, spend one hour in nothing but thanksgiving. He says, don't you dare even insert one prayer request, not one sentence, nothing but thanksgiving. And uh, he, he, he challenged us and said, you know, this is going to be difficult for you. 
And in my naivete, I thought, that's a cinch, no problem. Uh, I'll go through that, no problem. So anyway, I was kneeling by my bed, starting to thank God. And I looked at my watch, thinking, surely an hour has passed. It was about five minutes later. And I was starting to run out of things to thank God for at the end of 10 minutes. Uh, very, very sadly, that was one of the longest hours that I had experienced in a long, long time. And it, was, uh, it made me realize what an unthankful, ungrateful person I really was. There was so much that I had uh, just taken for granted. And this, it was this wretched discovery of an unthankful heart in most people that made David groan. Oh, 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 four times, oh, that men would give thanks. That oh shows how disturbed he was over this spirit of unthankfulness. It's part of the mystery of iniquity. And it really is a mystery. When you consider how this world, the scripture says, is filled full to overflowing with God's goodness, and yet we're unthankful. It's part of the mystery of iniquity. So what is it that makes us so thankless? I talked to a man in Omaha who was very angry and bitter at God, and as we were going along, the whole issue of thanksgiving came up, and he made it very clear that he was unthankful because he had nothing to be thankful for. Nothing to be thankful for. You know, according to this psalmist, and we'll look at the first three verses, the very fact that we are not burning in hell is a good reason to be thankful to God. Um, uh, several years ago, I was uh, counseling a couple from outside of the church that uh, were, were going through real marital uh, struggles. And one of the assignments that I gave to them was to write out on paper 100 things that they were grateful for about their spouse. And they looked at me for a couple of seconds with a blank stare like, you got to be kidding. Uh, almost like I was from Mars. I said, no, I'm, I'm being serious here. I want you to write out 100 things that you are grateful for about your spouse. And I don't even want you to come back for our next session of counseling if you don't have at least 100 things that are written out. And they threw their hands up in the air and they said, we can't think of anything that we are thankful for about each other. And I said, um, um, asked them, uh, well, does your wife uh, cook fairly well? And he said, yeah, she does. I said, well, there you go. You got one thing to be thankful for for your wife. I said, uh, do you worry at night that your wife is going to get an ax out and chop your head off? And uh, he said, well, of course not. And I said, well, there you go. You got two things of your hundred list uh, that you can put down. I don't want you coming back that you got a hundred things that you are thankful for about your spouse. Well, you know, the next week when they came back, they said that was revolutionary because they had realized for the first time after those hundred things that bitterness had completely blinded them to all of the good things that were in their spouse. Actually, one of them, I think, came up with like 150 uh, points that he, he was thankful for in his, in his wife. Um, uh, but it, it was something that was a very helpful exercise for them. Now, David does something similar in various places in this psalm. He points to thankworthy things that people tend to ignore when they are down and when they are in the pits. And in verses 1 through 3, he puts all of life into perspective, an eternal perspective, 
by pointing out that every believer has been saved from an agonizing eternity in the hands of Satan. Nothing in life could be worse than that. Look at 1 through 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy, what does mercy imply? Implies we deserve terrible things, right? But He's not giving those terrible things to us. For His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. For believers to complain about anything in life is to lose a perspective of what we have been saved from, an eternity in hellfire. That's what we really deserve. And it doesn't matter how bad things are here on earth, and this psalm actually will go through some pretty miserable things that people can experience while they're on earth. Even in the midst of those miseries, uh, God is saying that these are really mer mercies. The miseries themselves are mercies compared to what we deserve in eternity. This past week I read a blog by uh, Andre Deutsch, and uh, quoting George Mikes, it said this, In Budapest, a man goes to the rabbi and complains, Life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? The rabbi answers, Take your goat into the room with you. The man is incredulous, but the rabbi insists, Do as I say and come back in a week. A week later, the man comes back, looking more distraught than before. We cannot stand it, he tells the rabbi. The goat is filthy. The rabbi then tells him, go home and let the goat out and come back in a week. A radiant man returns to the rabbi a week later, exclaiming, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now that there is no goat, only the nine of us. <laughs> perspective is important, okay? But it's not just any perspective because we can compare. Perspective is a comparing of what we're going through compared to something else. And yet humanists can have a perspective on life that's comparing myself to somebody else and be even more unthankful, be even more bitter for what they are going through. I heard that when Andrew Carnegie left $1 million to one of his relatives, and it was a little bit of a distant relative, that man cursed Carnegie. He left him a million dollars. He cursed Carnegie because Carnegie had given $365 million to public charities and had, quote-unquote, cut him out and only given him one million. And I'm thinking, wow, what an ungrateful wretch. And so for him, perspective was, I'm not getting anything compared to what Carnegie gave to somebody else. Okay, so it's not a perspective all on its own. This is a spirit-given perspective that we're going to be talking about where God opens our eyes to see life in a whole new way. Jesus said, every one of us has good reason to leap for joy, even in the midst of persecution. Why? Because we deserve not only nothing, we deserve hellfire, and God has given us a proverbial one million dollars. And yet what do we do? We groan and gripe about the 365 million that we didn't get, right? We aren't focused as God would have us to be focused. Now, I forget which biography I read this in. I think it may be the biography of Amy Carmichael, but I'm not sure. But this missionary complained about not having new shoes and was very ungrateful to the Lord for how poor she was until the Lord opened her eyes to see a person who had no feet, no feet to put shoes on and it gave her perspective things could always be worse 
and we deserve worse. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 says, In everything give thanks. Now why are we able to do that? Doesn't matter what circumstance we are in, we can be in some of the miserable circumstances they're in, in Psalm 107, but in everything give thanks. Uh, well, I've mentioned um, Matthew Henry's perspective, looking at what God is doing, even in the midst of this, and I couldn't think of a better illustration, so I'm just going to repeat it. But that famous uh, Puritan author of Matthew Henry's commentary once had thieves stop him and steal his purse, and he wrote this in the diary that day. Let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, <clears throat> because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it wasn't very much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Now that was being thankful in every circumstance. As it were, it's looking at the silver lining around the dark cloud. It's not denying that there is a dark cloud there, but it's saying, no, there's, there's a lot of good in these circumstances that the Lord has brought into my life. And so every Christian has an ability to thank God, whether they are in jail with Paul and Silas, or whether they are in the belly of the whale, or fish, with Jonah. You may not have realized it, but Jonah actually wrote, or he didn't write at that time, later on he recorded a prayer of blessing and gratefulness and thanksgiving inside of the belly of that fish. It really is remarkable. And you have access to the same grace to be able to thank God in your smelly situations as well. We're saved. It makes all the difference in the world. Now in this psalm, God not only calls us to thank God in every circumstance, but he calls us to thank God for those circumstances themselves. It's almost like in the New Testament. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 5 commands us, giving thanks always for all things. Not just in every circumstance, but for every circumstance. And a lot of people buck at that and they just think, well, that can't be. How can you thank God that somebody has sinned against me? How can, how can I thank God for some of these uh, horrible issues? But he says, no, we need to give thanks for all things. Well, David calls us to do the same. From David's perspective, everything from God's hand is for our good. Everything. And I, I don't have time to show it in every section of the psalm, but take a look at verse 10. <clears throat> we see here, those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons. Now, why did God allow these people to be bound in affliction and irons? Well, verse 11 explains. Because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High, therefore he brought down their heart with labor, they fell down, and there was none to help. This was God's hand of discipline, and the discipline was good. It accomplished its purpose. It changed their perspective. And let me tell my own story of how discipline caused me to become thankful. <clears throat> Hebrews 12 tells us that every son whom he loves, he chastens. And if you are without chastening, then you are illegitimate. Now that was the verse, as I've mentioned in the past, that turned my world upside down in 12th grade. I was lying in bed looking over the years of my life 
and wondering why it was that I had not received disciplines from God's hand even though I had rebelled against him many many times and I was having this verse going through and through and through my mind I could not get it out of my head it struck me like a ton of bricks that Hebrews 12 verse 8 was likely describing me and I memorized it in the King James but here's what was going through my head but if ye be without chastisement whereof all are partakers then are ye bastards and not sons that was a phrase I could not get out of my head if ye are without chastisement then are ye bastards and not sons well to make a long story short that night God did such a work in my heart that he brought me to the place where I saw myself as utterly worthy of hellfire and I wanted to be saved not just from hell which is what my prayer had always been in the past but I wanted to be saved from my sin God gave me a a, a hatred uh, for my sin and to give assurance of my salvation the next day the Lord prompted me to witness to an individual now if you knew me back then you uh, would wonder how I could have ever have become a pastor because I was so timid so shy had a hard time talking to people and it freaked me out the idea of even giving the gospel to anybody so when God prompted me to witness to the, this individual I just refused I can't do this maybe another time I can do it well I was a janitor and I was cleaning a bathroom and right when I said no half of my face just came down sagging I was paralyzed and half of my, I almost fell over I was hanging on to the uh, the bathroom counter and I said okay Lord okay 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 I'll do it and almost as fast I saw my face uh, go back normal and I re received my strength in, in my side and so I went out and I probably gave one of the most bumbling idiotic uh, uh, evangelistic attempts you know with this guy it was awful but I was rejoicing in the Lord because I knew now without any shadow of a doubt that I had a father in heaven who loved me enough to discipline me and so I rejoiced I was thankful for discipline it meant so much uh, to me and God did the same with these people in verse 13 it says then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces so God was loving enough to discipline them but he was also loving to embrace them in his arms when they came running crying to him but were their hearts overwhelmed with gratitude well yeah for a short time they were but they forgot and they returned to unthankfulness and David reading the history of Israel realizes that they were not a thankful people and he grieves in the next verse saying oh that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men and we can so easily do the same thing I remember as a teenager sitting at the table in Waka uh, station in Ethiopia and my dad was giving devotions and uh, we were I believe it was in Exodus it may have been in numbers but we were reading about these Israelites who were complaining once again and God having to judge them uh, once again and 
As a teenager, I was just shaking my head, wondering, how can people be so stupid? After all the miracles that God has done, how could they be so ungrateful, so unthankful, so complaining? And my dad just very quietly said, well, you know, Phil, um, they've had to eat manna three times a day for several years, and you've only had oatmeal once a day for a few days in a row, and you've been complaining. And that was all he said. And I realized, wow, I'm utterly blind. That was the first time that I recognized how unthankful of a person that I was. Utterly blind that I'm far worse than those Israelites complaining about, what, having oatmeal just a few days in a row? And here God judges them for their complaining about manna burgers and manna stew and manna this and the other three times a day for 40 years. That's all they ate? Wow. And so I realized I need God's supernatural grace of thanksgiving. Now back to the issue of discipline. Psalm 119 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And so point one deals with why it is that David wishes that people would be more thankful. He says that the enemies of verses 1 through 3 and the distresses of verses 4 through 7 are working together for our good. Now, apart from grace, we're not going to recognize that. Uh, the longings of verse 9, he meets with his good pleasure. The hopeless bondage of verses 10 through 16, even being at death's door in verses 17 through 20 are not things we should grumble over. When I read, verse, uh, re read verses 25 through 30, I think of the movie Perfect Storm, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you're, you're desperately trying to be, to survive in those kinds of circumstances. How can we learn thankfulness in even circumstances like that? How can we learn thankfulness even under the severe oppression of verses 39 through 41? God expects us to. So I want to spend some time looking at how to gain a thankful heart. And there's not a clear division between any of these points because I've already given you some hints of how to go about this. But if we've got a problem with thanklessness, then we've got to start somewhere. And that probably means verbalizing our thanksgiving even though we do not feel thankful in our hearts. It's got to start somewhere. Verses 1, 2... See, 22, verse 32, and verse 43 show that thankfulness starts off simply as a matter of obedience, not a matter of feeling thankful. Just obedience to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. It's a command. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's a command. It's not an option. And over and over in this psalm, we are commanded to give thanks even though we are going through misery, which means we don't feel like giving thanks. That's the key point, okay? One of the major problems that Christians face today is that they put feelings before faith, before reason, and before obedience. They just don't obey if they don't feel like it, okay? And this morning, I want to assure you, you can thank God in faith even though you do not feel like thanking God. Unless somebody thinks that it's hypocrisy to thank God when you don't feel thankful to God. Now, let me address that issue of hypocrisy. Anybody who uses that excuse probably has the habit of putting the caboose 
of feelings in the place that the engine of the train should be, should be in. Feelings are what drive so many Christians today. And the problem with that is that feelings are fickle. Feelings constantly change. They can change several times in the same hour. Uh, feelings are very, very fickle. This past Tuesday, one of the men in our 6.30 a.m. Um, meeting that's kind of preparing them for, for marriage, he came in utterly exhausted. Uh, you could tell he was so tired that uh, his body was just craving sleep. Now, earlier that morning, his alarm had woken him up, and I'm sure his body was begging him, shut it off and skip, they'll never know. <laughs> shut it off. And he didn't do that. He came, miserable as he was with uh, sleep loss, he came anyway. Now, was it hypocritical for him to do what he didn't feel like doing? We said, no, he's being responsible, right? It's not hypocrisy at, at all. And so here's the question. Does it make you a hypocrite to do what is right even though you do not feel like doing what is right? That's the real question. And the answer is obviously not. We always must do what is right. What would be hypocrisy is to fail to thank God when we know that God is thankworthy. That's where the hypocrisy comes, doing something contrary to what we know to be right. And so the real hypocrite is the one who is received bountifully from God's hand, but does not thank God simply because he doesn't feel like thanking God. Can you see how ridiculous that really is? That describes the real hypocrite. Feelings have nothing to do with whether you should be thankful or not. Nothing. Now you might say, but it's so hard. You can't expect me to thank God when I have lost all of my loved ones, can you? You cannot really expect me to thank God when I've lost all my finances, can you? You cannot expect me to thank God when I'm covered with boils from head to toe, can you? Well, by now you're already recognizing who I'm describing. I'm describing Job. And yes, he did bless God. He did praise God. He did thank God for what God had given away and what God had given before and taken away. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And you have access to the same grace that Job had to be able to do that. In fact, since we're living in the age of the Spirit and the age of the kingdom of Christ, you know, you probably have access to more grace than Job had to be able to have this supernatural uh, uh, thanksgiving. So it's not an issue of inability if you're unthankful. It goes much deeper than that. It's an unwillingness that exposes lack of faith. Verse 22 says, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Now, thankfulness is not a sacrifice if it's easy to do. It's a sacrifice because it's tough to do. That's the whole point of a sacrifice, right? We all thank God when things go easy, and that's a good thing to do, but you know, pagans can thank God when things go well, when they get a million dollars. Well, maybe not a million, when they get 365 million, you know? Uh, they can thank God in, in those circumstances. But it is, after all, called a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and what that verse is telling us is that we need to put the caboose of feelings where it belongs at the end of the train. 
sacrifice your feelings so that you can obey God. It's just a part of Christian maturity. I have to do every week things I don't want to do. I don't like to do, but that's part of maturity in, in, in the Christian life. Every day you do things you don't want to do because it's the responsible thing to do. In fact, I always encourage our kids, get the worst chores over with first. And then they're not weighing on your shoulders all day long. Get the worst, most distasteful chores out of the way. And then the rest of the day feels so great. You know, you're sailing through it a whole lot more, more easily. Now, we talked about the will, but the mind is in gear as well in verse 43. Whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. So it's as we understand by faith God's loving kindness in its depth that we are able to lay hold of uh, thanksgiving. It's as we understand Romans 8.28, we're convinced of it, that we're able to observe the command of thanksgiving. A few years ago I told you the story of me as a boy running down the mountainside in Ethiopia. It was getting dark and we were needing to get home. And it was a pretty steep slope and my brother is... Uh, Stan and John yelled at me to stop, but it was so steep I couldn't stop running and something hit me right below the knees and I went sprawling, skidding up my arms and my, my knees. I looked back and I couldn't see anything that had tripped me. To this day, I'm convinced an angel had uh, knocked me down because I couldn't see anything there. But at the time, all I could think about was my skin knees and how miserable I was and I wish I was home and it's getting cold and dark and just then my brothers came uh, running up to where I was at they caught up with me and as they caught up with me the fog lifted just enough so that I could see a cliff a huge cliff just a few feet in front of me so if I had not been tripped and skinned up my knees I would have gone hurling right off that cliff to, to my death well, all of a sudden, as a kid, I'm praising God. I'm thankful that I, have been, that I have been tripped. I'm even thankful for the skin knees. It was worth it compared to falling over that cliff. Well, what God wants us to do is to be able to thank Him like that, even when the fog is not lifted. To be able to thank God and say, Lord, I don't understand why I'm going through these things, but I know that you are working all things together for my good. I know you've got good reasons, and so by faith, even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to praise you in the fog. I'm not just going to wait for the fog to lift. So he says, whoever is wise will observe these things. They will understand the loving kindness uh, of the Lord. <clears throat> and let me fill you in on a secret that many Christians have discovered. And this happens any time you start entering into a season of thanksgiving by faith. When I say you're, you're thanking by faith, I mean from a horizontal viewpoint, it doesn't make sense to thank God because everything's going against you. But the fog is not lifted, so by faith you're entering into a season of thanksgiving. What happens is you find bitterness, envy, all kinds of negative emotions evaporating from your heart thankfulness, gratitude, joy, the fruits of the Spirit beginning to be elevated because God blesses faith. I just see it happening in my own life. I've seen it happening in other people's lives over and over and over again. Um, and I think it's just a very important discipline that we, we need to get into. So here's the point. Doing that 
Thanking God by faith is putting faith, reason, and our will into action. We've got the train engine driving, and what happens is that the caboose that got derailed and made us feel so bad, the, the caboose of, um, of emotions falls into line, and it follows, and we begin to feel more thankful. So that's a secret many people have learned when you begin to give thanks in faith, the bitterness, the resentment, the other negative emotions evaporate. It's almost like thankfulness is a, a broom that sweeps those other things out of the way. Where bitterness is, it's impossible to have true thankfulness. Where true thankfulness begins to uh, emerge, it's impossible for bitterness and other negative emotions to continue there. So it's a discipline of life that we, need to, that we really need to be uh, putting on. And it's one of the reasons why Satan does everything he can to make us unthankful. Anyway, verse 42 says, The righteous see it and rejoice. So, thank God is a matter of obedience. That's verses 1 through 2. Verse 22, <clears throat> 32, and verse 43. Secondly, thank God is a matter of sacrifice. <clears throat> That's um, seen in verse 22. You know, anytime we sacrifice, we're, we're, we're going through a lot of labor, people appreciate what we have done. I mean, I so appreciate all of the labors that, uh, that Kathy and Elizabeth put into preparing that meal and that the extended relatives put into making their parts of the meal uh, so that we could have a great Thanksgiving. Well, it's the same thing, you know, in our relationship with God. When it's difficult, it's even more appreciated by God. It's like a gift that we are offering up to Him. So make sure it's a sacrifice. Third, thank God is a matter of wisdom. Verse 43 says, whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. So those three points are realigning your mind, your emotions, and your will on the matter of thankfulness. So that's the first major point. Don't make the caboose your engine. Make the engine the engine, not the feelings. But second tip that I want to give this morning is meditation. It's a discipline that stirs up faith and as a result, it stirs up thankfulness. And if you don't feel like being thankful, spend some time uh, developing the powerful Puritan discipline of meditation deep. And some of you have picked this up already. Um, Joel Beakey uh, has got an essay on the web. You can just do a little search for it. It's called Puritan Meditation. Download that. Uh, it shows you step by step how the Puritans engaged in deep meditation and why it was that it was life transforming for those Puritans. So verses 42 through 43 speak of those who meditate on God and his works as having all that they need to have heartfelt joy. In the repeated theme verse, David also says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now his goodness is focusing our meditation on his character. His wonderful works of men is focusing our meditation upon his providence. And really both of those are great fodder for meditation. Let's just think about meditation on providence. When I first began seeing God's hand in history, it not only encouraged my faith, but it helped me to anticipate God's hand in my own personal life. I remember praising God. You know, I stubbed my toe and I thank God. I, said, I don't know why I stubbed my toe, but I know God's got some purpose in it. Uh, remember um, <clears throat> the first time that I 
uh, instead of getting frustrated because I'm late to an appointment because of a traffic jam or another time when my car broke down, it's almost like God was stirring up within me the kind of anticipation, the kind of excitement that kids have when they're opening up a present. And I'm thinking to myself in my mind, I have no idea why the Lord's had me miss this very important appointment. Everything's important, you know, for us, right, when we're going through life. But you look back on it, you think, well, what was so important to get bent out of shape about that? But we do. But anyway, God began giving me an anticipation. Lord, I can hardly wait to see what you're going to bring out of this providence. It's like opening up a package. That's the kind of new eyes to see that we need to be praying for. Lord, help me to look at life with that kind of anticipation, just like children eager to open up a, 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 a present uh, that's uh, been given to us. Uh, but anyway, uh, as one of the reasons why I love Providential History Festival, history is not an arbitrary arrangement of facts. History is his story, it's his providence, working out his perfect purposes, bringing this world to its predestined, glorious conclusion. And the more we meditate on God's goodness and his sovereign providence, the more our hearts will be stirred up to, to praise him. Let me just read verses 23 through 32 to show that God's sovereign displays, even the worst ones. I think this is the worst one in the whole psalm. I, I just think of this as uh, the movie The Perfect Storm, okay? Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. So those humongous waves that are coming up against the ship are not arbitrary, they're not accidental. It's God's hand at work is what he is saying here. God's doing it. So he says, for he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. All the way through the psalm, that word then. It's like, why do they wait till then to cry out to the Lord? Why have they not been crying out to the Lord all the way through? Well, we tend to be forgetful of God, don't we? We tend to be deistic in the way in which we engage in life. But it says, where was I? Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storms that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So as you meditate on God's goodness, his wonderful power, in light of your sinfulness and inability, it will give you much ground to praise and thank him. Well, I'm just going to end this. There's, there's tons more in this psalm. It's a wonderful psalm to just work through and meditate on. But verses 42 and 43, The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things. They will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. So wisdom is the ability to see life as God sees it. And God grants that wisdom to those who are willing to pursue his holiness. In verse 42, it says, the righteous see it and rejoice. Now, the word for righteous there is not the word that's ordinarily used for somebody who's justified. This is uh, the word for somebody who's walking close to God. It's dealing with personal holiness. 
okay? They are the ones who perceive what is worthy of thanks in life. God gives them new eyes. They look at a sunset and they can't help but thank God. They look at grass. They cannot help but thank God. Um, I was reading this past week and I didn't write it down here, but somebody criticized uh, Haydn, you know, you know the, the classical musician, criticized him for making his music so happy in church. I thought, wow, these music wars go way back, don't they? Anyway, he said he couldn't help it. He said his heart was so bursting in praise to God that it came off of his heart just like thread off of a spindle. He said he could not help it. It has to be uh, a thanks that came, that came out. But uh, anyway, um, it's people who are walking with God who perceive what is worthy of thanks. God gives them new eyes. And just like those pilgrims who came off a miserable, stormy uh, ship trip. Is that a real phrase? Uh, they came off of a long trip. For days, the whole place just stank of puke. There were fleas. There were, there were uh, lice. Uh, it was just absolute misery. When they got off, some of them had to be carried off. They were so weak. Yet what's the first impulse of their heart? Thank you, Lord, for bringing us to this place. Thank you for safety on this trip. Their hearts were filled with thanks. They had spiritual eyes to see. In a sermon at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles recently, Gary Wilburn said, in 1636, <clears throat> amid the darkness of the Thirty Years' War, a German pastor, Martin Rinkart, is said to have buried 5,000 of his parishioners in one year, an average of 15 a day. His parish was ravaged by war, death, and economic disaster. In the heart of that darkness, with the cries of fear outside his window, he sat down and wrote this table grace for his children. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices what wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices. <clears throat> who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Now, he recognized that the enemy had taken away a lot of the gifts that God had bestowed upon them, but the enemy could not take the giver away, could not take God away from them. And Rinkard had eyes to see a world so filled with God's goodness he couldn't help but sing praises and give thanksgiving to God. That's what we need. We need new eyes to see a world filled with God's goodness. And the only way to have those new eyes is in a daily walk with God. The backslidden Christian inevitably becomes a complainer. If you're backslidden, it's pretty hard to be thankful. And so this verse says, the righteous see it. They perceive, perceive it. They see what's going on. Wisdom is looking at life as God sees it. The righteous see it and rejoice in all iniquity stops its mouth. And then verse 43 says, whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Now the word for observe is a very interesting word. It's the usual word that's used for a night watchman or a guard. And so it highlights the fact that we not only need to be on guard against complaining and grumbling that Rodney uh, spoke about earlier, but we need to be as watchful as a guard who's looking for the enemy out there. Are they coming around? 
looking, being as watchful for the things that are thankworthy all around us. We need to have eyes that are looking, that are seeing. What is there that I can thank God for? I got to make a list of a hundred things, you know, I can thank God for uh, uh, and, and offer those up to Him. So thankfulness is both an evidence of a close walk with God and the means to strengthening our walk with God. It's almost like there's a circle there. The more we thank God, the more we see God's goodness. And the more insight we have into God's goodness and the more thankful we will be. But it's faith that gets that continual circle going. And faith means thanking God even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. A few years ago, Dr. Nick Stinnett of the University of Nebraska conducted a group of studies called the Family Strengths Research Project. Now, he'd probably get in trouble nowadays just for his definition of uh, a family. Uh, but Stinnett and his researchers isolated six significant qualities that have historically made for strong families. And the first and the most important one in his estimation was appreciation. Okay, the strongest families were the ones where the members expressed to each other their appreciation for what the other members do and who they are. Well, brothers and sisters, we are a spiritual family that should be characterized by appreciation for each other and especially appreciation for the awesome Father that we have in heaven from whom every good and perfect gift comes. And if there are people that you have a hard time being thankful for, what I would encourage you to do is just get out some paper and write down a hundred things that you could be thankful for about that person. And then maybe even express some of those to that person. But certainly offer those up to the Lord. Let's be a thankful people filled with appreciation for all that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace that you give to quicken that word to our lives. We receive that grace by faith. We thank you that if we ask for anything that you've already been purchased for us through Christ Jesus from our bank account that we can have it. And for this day, we ask for the grace of thankfulness, gratitude, amazing praise in our hearts. Help our hearts to well up, Father, with praise at all that we have. The excitement of knowing that even when the devil is coming against us with all of his ferocious persecution, even that is working together for our good. Help us, Father, to be a thankful people. In Jesus' name, amen.